Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. Well, as, as has already been mentioned, Bob is uh, out of town this week. He's in China. And so this morning we have Jamie McGregor from Redeemer. He is actually the pastor of spiritual formation, which is discipleship. Um, and he'll be bringing us the word this morning. So, Jamie, come now. May the Lord bless you. Good morning. It's good to be here. And I appreciate the opportunity to bring God's word to you. And so, I'm going to ask, if you will, please stand for the reading of God's word. I will read it. But our passage today is Colossians Chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Hear now the word of the Lord. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Would you pray with me? God, now we ask that you would make your word alive to us, that we would read it, but also that we would understand it, that we would see Jesus in it, and then also that we would be doers of your word. These are things that we cannot do on our own, so Holy Spirit, come in such a way that you would fill us, that you would unblock anything that would keep us from hearing your words, that you would loosen my tongue so that I would speak your words, and Jesus, we pray that your name, your kingdom, would go forward here in Yorktown, Muncie, Indiana, our country, and even indeed the world. So God, these are things you and you alone can do. So we lift up our prayers to you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Please be seated. So again, um, I'm Jamie, Jamie McGregor, one of the pastors at Redeemer down in Indianapolis. And I have a portion of my family with me today. So my wife, Debbie, is here, and then two of my daughters, Hannah, and then also Emma. So I have five kids, and uh, they're kind of a little bit scattered here and there. So I believe in a fifth gospel. I believe in a fifth gospel. And you might be thinking, I thought there was only four gospels. So perhaps you're thinking I'm referring to the book of Acts. I'm not. I believe there's a fifth gospel, and I believe that you are that fifth gospel. Hear these words of the Apostle Paul. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Do you hear what's being said? What the Apostle is saying is, if you are a Christian, you are a letter, And you are a living example of the gospel before others. Now we need to see how this relates to the book of Colossians, where we are today. So the overall theme of Colossians is the excellency or the bigness of who Jesus is. In Colossians, there we read that Jesus is the one who is before all things. He is the head of all things. He is the one who holds all things together. He is the one who is reconciling all things through his blood shed at the cross. This is Jesus, most excellent. 
And so we come to this last chapter of Colossians, and Paul the Apostle is exhorting the church, and he's saying, you are to live as examples before others. Now, the question then becomes, well, how do we communicate Christ as most excellent? How do we communicate Christ as most excellent to the world around us? You see, there's a reality. Much of the world does not re- uh, read the Bible. And so it's not like the world comes and reads the Bible and thus knows who God is, who Jesus is. But the world is reading you. The world is reading you, and you are a living letter of Jesus before the world. So here's the big idea. The big idea is this. Christ is most excellent. Be his living letter. Christ is most excellent. Be his living letter. How do you do this then? Three points. You do this through your wise conduct, through your purposeful witness, and then also through your gracious words. So first, let's look at wise conduct. Go to the scriptures, look at chapter 4, verse 5, and the apostle Paul, he begins and he says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Now, quick aside, who are the outsiders? The outsiders could be an offensive term, could it not? It seems to reinforce that us versus them mentality. Um, It can even reinforce like a sense of intolerance. You know, someone can make the charge, you know, those Christians, they're so intolerant. This simply is a Jewish way of saying a person is a non-Jew. And so it's not meant to be offensive at all. It's really just basically saying those who are not yet followers of Jesus, a non-Christian. Now we'll come back to that. The next thing is then walking in wisdom. This walking to wisdom is likely a reference to Psalm 1. There, if you remember Psalm 1, it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the way of scoffers, but delights in the law of the Lord. He is like a tree planted by streams of water. And so the question is now being asked, what path are you on? Are you on a godly path, a path that is life-giving? Or are you on an earthly path, one that is death-producing? Now the Apostle James, he gets at this in his own letter, and he describes the two paths as two wisdoms. Do you hear that? He calls this two wisdoms. One wisdom is earthly and even demonic, The other wisdom, though, is godly. Let me read from James chapter 3. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Now let's tie this back again to Colossians. What wisdom or conduct do you live out before others? 
when people see you, what do they see about you? Now, obviously, if you're a Christian, let me ask this. If you are a follower of Jesus, does your everyday conduct fit the testimony that you have in Jesus? Let me put it in simple terms. Are you one who is marked by profanity? Are you one who is marked by jokes and jokes that perhaps objectify the opposite sex, the opposite gender? Are you one who is characterized by anger and particularly angry outbursts? Are you one who is marked by envy? Are you one who is marked by apathy? You see, that is a path that is not life-giving, but instead it is worldly. It is unspiritual. And as James says, it's even demonic. Now, if you're here and you're saying, yes, uh, that, that's me, that's me, what do I do? Now, in a moment of awkwardness, um, I'm going to ask that we hold for a little minute. Why? Because we actually need to go a little bit deeper. My suspicion is that most of you are saying, that's not me. I'm not marked by those things. Maybe someone else, but that's not me. Beware. <laughs> it's easy to be moral on the outside, but have evil on the inside. And what goes on is under stress, under misfortune, under illness, what is the conduct that then comes out? In other words, when you're in the crucible and you're being crushed, what conduct comes out then? Why is this important? See, there's a reality. The world is watching you because the world is watching everyone. But especially Christians, I find at least. You see, some want to know how Christianity really works, and so they're watching you. And yet others are watching you because they want to catch you in a moment of hypocrisy. And so you're always being watched. And they watch you in situations that are going to squeeze out what's in your heart. Let me give some. Perhaps you're one who didn't get the promotion that you thought you should, and it was a rather unjust overlooking of you. How did you respond? Did you have anger that was demonstrable? Did you envy the person who did get the promotion? Say you're here and your spouse has hurt you and your spouse has hurt you very badly. Did you criticize your spouse to another person? Did you even lust after another spouse or another person out of anger toward your hurtful spouse? <laughs> if you're one who is existing in persistent illness, or perhaps a loved one has an illness that is just ravaging that person. Are you one who is marked by hopelessness? Are you one who has persistent anger toward God over that illness? Perhaps you have a classmate who's in a scandal. Your classmate is wrestling with addiction. Do you avoid that person? Do you refuse to even come near that person during their time of need. You see, you are privileged to be a living letter. The world is watching you, and they're watching you to see if Christ and Christianity is real. Now let's go back. So if you're the person who said, you know what, my everyday conduct, it doesn't really demonstrate Jesus well. And yet then also if you're a person who says, you know what, when things get tough and when things get squeezed out of me, 
you know what, even then I'm seeing my conduct is not really Christ honoring. So what do we do? What do we do? I find what, what most people try to do is this. They have resolve. They'll say something like this. I'm going to try hard to live better before outsiders so that that way they will see Jesus in me. Now the problem is this. There's going to be problems that arise that are just simply too difficult, and you're going to be crushed, and stuff that you never thought that was in there is going to come out. The other problem, though, is this. Most of us have a breaking point. We really do. And so if we're just resolving to really just get our act together, there's going to be a point when that fails. And yet there's even another problem. The world is actually going to be seeing you trying harder, and as they see you trying harder, what they see is actually your resolve, and they're not seeing the excellency of Christ. So there must be something different than just trying harder, and it's what we call repentant faith. You see, wise conduct is a heart issue. It's not just a matter of trying harder. Godliness comes from God changing your heart by the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is, according to Colossians, at the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ, he takes all your shame away. He takes all your sin away. And your heart is then changed, and you are a new person in Christ. Now, the gospel then says this, my conduct, what I do, is not my acceptance before God. Do you hear that? It's not up to me to make myself acceptable before God. Instead, the gospel is this, I am accepted because of the conduct of another, the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. And Colossians says that Jesus has reconciled us at the cross through his conduct at the cross, my sins are taken away. Jesus also is the one who is perfect in all that he said, did, even thought. And so his conduct is now my righteousness. That is the gospel. And so what this now means is this. If you're one who said, you know what, you talked about being crude, that's me. You talked about, you know, objectifying the opposite gender, that's me. The gospel now says you can repent. You can repent of being a hypocrite because that's not who you are in Jesus. It is that simple because that's the gospel in its simplicity. You can own up your hypocrisy because of what Jesus has done. Say you're the person who didn't get the promotion. You can say the promotion, though, desired, that's not what defines me. What defines me is Jesus and since he is the one who defines me, I no longer need to envy. In fact, the gospel then says, I have courage. If this was an unjust situation, I even can have courage to go approach the one who overlooked me because I'm safe in Jesus. How about the person whose spouse has hurt you? The gospel says you can forgive because Christ has first forgiven you. You can forgive and you don't, you don't need to bury your feelings. You can talk about these things. You can talk about the hurt in your marriage. You can work it out because in the gospel, you are forgiven. 
How about your willingness to walk with the addict? You know what? There's a reality. All of us are scandalous, if you think about it. All of us are scandalous. All of us are sinners. That's a truth. And as one who has experienced the amazing grace of Jesus, we can now walk with those who are in need of that amazing grace of Jesus. See, wise conduct comes from turning to God. That is repentance. And so wise conduct then shows the excellence of Jesus. It's a faith that you are trusting him in all situations. So what is one way in which you show excellence of Jesus through your wise conduct? The second way, being a purposeful witness. Again, look at verse 5. There, the apostle says, make the best use of the time. This is fun. It literally reads, exploit the time. This is like a business person's terminology. It's basically saying, don't wait, buy it now. Get it at all costs. Where's he going with this? We need to go back a little bit. Look at verses 2 through 4. Again, Colossians. And Paul is praying there, and he says, make me to be bold as a witness for Jesus. And then now we get to verses 5 and 6, and he's carrying that prayer over to the Colossians and really to us. And what he's saying is, you are to be bold in your witness for Jesus. And he says, now. Now. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying, purpose to bring people to Jesus right now. Now, resolve would say something like this. All right, The preacher says we need to go win people for Jesus, so let's do it. Let's go do it right now. Let's start witnessing. But we need more. See, again, we need to look at a repentant faith. Why is that? This is a heart issue. And when we're honest about our hearts, our hearts are rather lazy and uncaring toward those who are not yet Jesus followers, Christians. Now, you might be saying, is that really my heart? Is that really my heart? Let me ask a question. Do you long for non-Christians to become Christians? Do you long for them? Now, most of you would probably nod your head and say, well, of course, of course I do. You see, typically we'd say yes. Why? Because that's the right thing to say. But then we look at our actions and we say, am I really living that out? But let's go a little bit deeper into our hearts. Why would we want a person to become a follower of Jesus? The scriptures say is that we would long for them to know Jesus, to experience his excellency, to have new life in him, and to be a new person in him. And so when we talk about longing for people to become Christians, often what we're saying is, is I long for them to come to church because I want the church bigger. Or I long for them to you know, become a Christian so that way kind of like my work is done. But this type of longing, what we're seeing is it's a longing for them that means I must give something on my end as well. What does that mean? What it means is often our uncaring, lazy hearts we make excuses. We'll say stuff like this, I'm so busy. They're not really interested. That's the job of the pastor. It's particularly the job of the youth pastor. And so we say things like, I just don't want to be inconvenienced. And so God, I will talk about Jesus when it's easy. Do you see what that begins to reveal about our hearts? 
See, our lazy, uncaring hearts often have no sense of the urgency of what it means to be building Jesus' kingdom here and now. Our Lord Jesus says in John chapter 9, as long as it is day, we must be doing the work of him who sent us. Do you hear that? We must be doing the work. The Apostle Paul says this. He says, wake up from your slumber. Some of you might be perhaps wrestling with slumber right now. And he says, wake up. He says, the night is nearly over. The day is at hand. And he says, we must see the urgency And so this text is then saying, make time now to be with non-Christians. Make time now to know and understand their story. Make time now to share Jesus with them. Now you might be saying, okay, yes, I get that. But where do I start? You see, too often we're fearful. We're fearful. We're fearful what people might say, what they might think. So where do we start? I find one of the easiest ways is just to go deeper with the life that is going on around us. I uh, read the Star Press in preparation for coming here to Muncie. So Star Press is your local newspaper. And (laughs) in case you didn't know. (laughs) And so um, one of the headline news is talking about the drug epidemic that's going on not only in Muncie but really the county. And so many of you you know that, but it was highlighting a story about what's called body dumping. And so when a person ODs, when they overdose on drugs, uh, they don't know what to do with that because it might implicate them in drug dealing. And so they'd simply dump the bodies. And there's like this one location where they're doing that. And so if you like reading the newspaper, we can like shake our heads and say, tisk tisk, you know, that's so tragic. And you might hear that from your neighbors. This is an opportunity for you to go deeper. You see, so often what we do is we stop at where? That's so tragic. And that's where we stop. What does the gospel say? What we're hearing now in the gospel is the gospel says there's hope. And so we can say, yes, that is so tragic. And then we, as followers of Jesus, we can say, there's more to the story. There is hope. There can be change. There can be change not only in Muncie and Yorktown, but there can be change in the lives of those who are addicts. There can be change in the lives of those who are wrestling with this epidemic. And let me share with you what I believe is the hope behind that change. The hope is being changed by Jesus. Can I share with you what it means to follow Jesus? Can I share with you how Jesus has changed my life? Do you see how easy that is? It's going deeper with life that is around us. What is the gospel? Let me put it this way. Why did Jesus come? To seek and save the lost to give life in abundance. Let me reword it differently. Jesus is the one who went on the outside. He's the one who was killed, crucified outside the city of Jerusalem. He's the one who left heaven to come to earth to come and seek us. So he's the one who went outside, why? To bring the outsiders inside. Those of us who are outsiders but who are now inside because of the gospel We are now those who are seeking those who are outside. We long for them to come inside because we want them to have life in Jesus. So a second way that we do this, not just wise conduct, it's purposefully desiring, purposely seeking 
those who are not yet followers of Jesus. The third point, look at verse 6. Gracious words. Let your conversation always be full of grace. Now that word always is twofold. Always is one sense, all whom you address. I just wanted to put that before you. Your seasoned speech is for everyone. Your neighbor, your coworker, your family, the crowd. But then also that always is all situations, whether it's chit-chat to something really serious. Always seasoned, always full of grace. Now, full of grace, what does that mean? We need to take a step back and say, well, what is grace? Grace is being saved by grace, so it's the kindness of God. It's the sacrificial love of God. But grace is more than just a spiritual transaction. It's the spiritual presence of God himself. I want you to think of a familiar benediction. The familiar benediction goes like this. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit... Do you remember the rest of it? Be with you. And so this is the presence of God. The benediction is that God himself would be with you. And so when we start to talk about gracious speech, it's really saying that your speech has the presence of God in it. Now, does that mean we have to have Jesus in every sentence? No. But graciousness, think about that word. Graciousness, kind, truthful. Loving, lifting others up. Um, we see this further. Look at verse 6 as it continues. Seasoned with salt. What's that mean? Salt was a preservative because back in those days they had no refrigeration. Can you remember? Just imagine that. No refrigeration. And so they would salt things to prevent spoilage. And so really what he's saying is, is your words should prevent spoilage and corruption. Your words should be preserving people's lives. Ephesians 4, 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others, according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Seasoned with salt. But salt is also a seasoning. It's a flavoring. You know, salt does not just make food salty, Salt has the ability to make the food distinct and even wonderful. It has the ability to like bring out flavor in something. And so if you have like a dish of carrots and you sprinkle some salt on it, it's not like you just have salty carrots. Salt has the ability to make the carrots taste more carroty, if you will. And so that's often why we sprinkle salt on certain foods, just to bring the flavor out. It makes it more authentic. So we are to speak in a way that people would see Jesus truthfully, but even flavorfully, authentically. How do we do that? One of the ways in which we do that is simply by telling stories. I am struck by one of the beautiful things of our millennial generation and also the iGen. So if you are 18 and younger, you're what's called iGen. And uh, they love stories. Those of us who are older, um, I'm what's called Gen X, we loved stories, but we just never really talked about them that much. But if you listen um, to like cultural stories, or cultural data, sorry, people are saying people love stories. They love stories. So one of the ways to have gracious words is to tell stories about what God is doing. Let me put it differently, that you would boast in the cross. 
that you would tell why the good news is so good. So you can imagine in a workplace, you walk in and perhaps you really did just have an argument with your spouse. Who has not done that? And so, but you can have the ability to say, I just had an argument with my spouse. Your coworker's eyes might be that big. What is he talking about? And so, but then you have the graciousness to say, tell a story. But this is what Jesus is doing to fix our marriage. This is what Jesus is doing to bring forgiveness. This is how I was able to forgive my wife and see that I was actually the one who was doing wrong. Do you hear that? You're telling stories of how God is at work in your life. Young people, can you imagine if you're in a gathering and the gathering is such in a situation where it's being encouraged to do something that you know you not ought to do, whether it's uh, watching a movie that's inappropriate or drinking or something of that nature, and you can just say, I'm not going to do that. So often we just stop right there and we say, I'm not going to do that. But then the encouragement here is to tell the story. What's the story? I'm different. Doesn't mean I'm better. I'm just different to know that this stuff is actually going to harm me. If I watch this stuff in a movie, it's not just that I'm going to turn out suddenly bad, but over time, that slow exposure is going to make me think that what's going on in the movie is okay. I don't want to do that. Now you might be thinking, does a young person really have the maturity to do that? Yes, they do. So tell the story of who Jesus is, is in your life telling stories. Don't just say, I'm Christian, stop. I'm Christian, and that this is what Jesus is doing. Let's finish up. Verse 6, at the very end, so that you may know how to answer each person. Let me put it very simple. Do you know the gospel story? Can you tell others what it means for you to believe upon Jesus? in a very succinct way. I love what you're doing with the catechism because one of the beautiful and benefits of the catechism is what? It instills into our children the simplicity of the gospel. Let me reword it. It instills into us adults the simplicity of the gospel. Can you explain the faith? If not, tonight, today even, sit down and say, what does it mean to follow Jesus? I believe that he died upon the cross that he took all my sins away and that I am now forgiven and I will be with him in heaven forever. It's that simple. Now resolve, we hear all this, resolve would say what? Okay, I'm gonna try hard. I'm gonna watch my mouth. I'm gonna start saying nice things. I'm gonna purpose to share Jesus. That's all good. But repentant faith says this is a heart issue. And the heart says, I'm not always speaking gracious, loving words. Why? Simply because I'm often not loving the people around me. I'm not even considering a gracious word because I'm not even considering them. I'm thinking about myself. Also, I'm not really loving the excellency of our Lord Jesus. Just think, if we were meditating upon the excellency of Lord Jesus, we would want to be telling his story to all people. So where do we begin? We begin by praying and saying, Spirit, would you show me the Savior who is most excellent? Would you show me his love? May that love motivate me. May it motivate me to be a living letter, to have excellent speech toward those around me. I was checking out your website. I don't know if you saw on your website. It says, New Life 
wants to be a living letter. You didn't use those words, but the words you did use is this. You want to make the gospel known, the kingdom, that the kingdom would be growing here in Yorktown, Muncie, Indiana, and the world. This sermon is that very thing. Being a living letter that the kingdom might grow. Now, resolve says, all right, I'm going to get at this. Repentance says, God, would you give me grace? Give me your presence. Would you use even me to be a living example of the gospel? Jesus, would you come because I'm scared. I'm scared to have people watch me. I'm such a screw up. (laughs) But gospel says this. The gospel says, I am love with the most excellent love so that God loves even the screw up and takes such a broken person and uses them in powerful ways. Would you work in my heart? Jesus, would you help me to see your excellency? Would you help me to be truly changed by your excellent grace? Holy Spirit, fill me, send me out. Jesus, you are the true excellence and I want people to know your excellence because Jesus is most excellent be his living letter. Would you pray with me? Jesus, by grace, would you indeed make us to be living letters of your gospel? God, we want to be a good read before the world, meaning we we know that they're not reading the Bible, but would they read us and know your message? We want people to meet Jesus through us. We need your help, so send us the Holy Spirit. Spirit, come and fill us, empower us. God, we're asking that new life, this church, would be a safe place where non-Christians can explore the faith. We want new life. We're asking that this could be a place where people could come and belong even before they believe on the gospel. That this could be a place where they are finding Jesus, not only hearing about it, but they're seeing what it means to follow Jesus in this congregation. God, send us out to be living letters today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.